Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today we have our guest, Christopher Hawkins. Again, we are going to be talking about his great guests, because of his years of podcasting, he must have a whole memory box of different stories, and we're going to be asking about stories today. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jane. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I can't believe you're letting me do this. Uh, keep letting me do this. It's wild. <laughs> amazing. So I'm sure your memory, it's like a box filled with amazing stories from your guest. And yourself being a SaaS founder, they, these stories definitely should resonate with you. So I'd love to hear what your most prominent guests were, some exciting stories, something like that. You know, I'm going to start off talking about um, episode 26 when I interviewed, I interviewed Tom Rossi. Now, he may not be as big of a name in the in the startup space as some of the other guests, but Tom's been around a long time, and he was founding SaaS apps back in 2005, 2006, uh, back when I founded a SaaS app. And talking with him was a real treat because it's very rare that I get to talk with somebody who really remembers what an absolute nightmare it was to found a SaaS app back in the, you know, the mid 2000s. Nowadays, we've got fantastic, wonderful, beautiful tools that make everything not easy, but straightforward. And back in 2005, just getting your app to process credit cards without your bank, uh, you know, accusing you of selling porn online or you know, and any other number of a hundred different shenanigans that could happen. It was a nightmare. Oh, it was so hard. And and Tom remembered that, and I appreciated that. It gave me a chuckle to kind of think about the bad old days. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dan Martell, I mentioned on our last episode, uh, talking to Dan was really sweet because I chased him around for so long. <laughs> for two years, I know two that by now. <laughs> years. Oh, it was uh, that was tough. That was tough. But Dan had a lot of good things to say. And I remember one of the things that he mentioned was about audience building. And he was mentioning that building an audience is always, it's always better to do it earlier rather than later. Now he wasn't the first guy to say that. Um, but he was very emphatic about it. Uh, he had an early start in consulting and he, he ended up kind of tapping into social media really early on and, and figuring out the success habits that allow you to use that to create an audience. And then, and then later, you know, have a, a group of people built in to launch products to that was powerful stuff. Um, gosh, I, it's almost overwhelming. All the folks that I've talked to Nathan Barry, <laughs> Nathan Barry, I had a great talk with Nathan Barry about, uh, the way he's built convert kit, um, you know, investing in his, his startup. That was one of the, if not the first time, I think anybody had talked about the financial side of bootstrapping a startup. Uh, he really put all his eggs in one basket. He, he took a risk. You know, he took a risk and he had to be careful with his finances in order to make all of this stuff work. And, and of course, as we know now, uh, ConvertKit is a fantastic success story. But up to that point on my show, I, I really can't recall anybody addressing the financial side of it. And that got a tremendous response because there are a lot of consultants out there who are a little bit confused by that. Um, you know, do I need to be banking money to sink into my startup? Do I need to be dedicating billable hours to working on my startup? Um, consulting has, you know, it's ups and downs with, with revenue and, uh, and billables. How do I navigate all that? And, and 
in talking to Nathan and, and getting to talk about a little bit of that, that was really enlightening. And I, I, I got great feedback from the audience. They really got a lot out of that. Absolutely. Gosh. And Nathan has always been very transparent with his numbers, which oh, really yeah. helps because you need to get some kind of scale and understanding what is going on financially. And oh, yeah. whenever someone to- tells you that money is not important, well, <laughs> it still is one of the most important things oh, yeah. for our activity online. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, without uh, without money, everything grinds to a halt. You know, your, uh, you know, your, uh, your application hosting grinds to a halt. Your everything. Your 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 employees stop coming into work. You know, it, it's just nothing happens unless dollars are flowing. And um, more importantly, money has some kind of energy that can you know that can give you proof that you are doing the right thing. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. I I I'll take dollars over say email opt-ins any day as as verification that I'm doing the right thing. Although. Um, I must say one of the other things that I've learned is that you're not likely to get dollars unless you focus on getting email opt-ins first. Audience has been huge. That's been, that's been a, a refrain of, I don't, I can't even tell you how many guests, uh, have mentioned the importance of community, not community as in, you know, the, the town that you live in, but community and, and people often use community and audience somewhat interchangeably, but virtually every founder that's been on my show has talked about how important it is to have people, to have an identifiable set of folks that you can point to and say, those are my people. They are interested in these things that I am interested in. They hang out in these places that I hang out at. They purchase products similar to the product that I am offering because they want to get better at these things that, you know, most likely that I also have had to struggle to get better at. So having a tribe, a community, an audience, whatever you call it, you've got to have people. And that's, I mean, my God, everybody's talked about that. Everybody, Ruben Gomez talked about that. Justin Jackson, Amy Hoy, Rob Walling, uh, Mike Tabor, you, you name it. And there's that undercurrent of you've got to have people. Otherwise, you're launching a product into a vacuum. And I, I think we all know how that works out. Absolutely. And this is this is really, really important. Everyone, please listen up. Because I started out like three years ago and I was a little girl in the middle of Russian countryside virtually and I had zero connection and a zero audience and if I were to start again today I would do right if I had zero people on my list but if I had those you know 100 or 150 people who I know now from all the conferences and stuff we've done together that's my main treasure that's something that's the hardest to earn and it's extremely important for all you do. Now that's really interesting. You mentioned conferences. I've got to ask because I've I've mostly engaged in audience building from afar. I, I don't uh, I don't really travel around to conferences. I, I don't make very many in person connections. Has has going to conferences been a, a big boost for you in terms of uh, expanding your your personal network and kind of finding your tribe? Absolutely. And uh, you know, I live in Russia. For me. The trip to Vegas that we took, the first one, the microconf in Vegas in 2013, that was, I believe, no, 2014, I think, it costs a ridiculous amount of money to go there and like two days of travel. <laughs> wow. So you really want to want to get there. <laughs> and, wow. Um, you know, I met so many amazing people and I just, that 
conference was especially important because I realized that that's a successful tribe of people who can successfully ship software. Because before that, I was only facing maybe not the most successful, you know, tire of these people who were hiring me for the job, but they never shipped the products I designed. Mm-hmm. And for me, that first conference was life-changing in all kinds of aspects. And later on, I found that, you know, hang out with people in person still way better than online, even if you do this a couple times a year only. Right, right. You know what? You just said something really interesting. I mean, it kind of put a smile on my face. When you're doing work for clients who never end up shipping your work, um, mm-hmm. that's funny. I, I was talking to a colleague about that just the other day. Um, I, I've had a number of folks who had me build an application for them. And then it turns out, because I didn't ask, it's not my job. Uh, it turns out they had no marketing plan whatsoever. And they had no idea how to find, uh, get get the product in front of their target market. And so, of course, they made no sales, <laughs> and then they turn around and they blamed us. You know, if this had more features or different features or, you know, then then people would be finding it. And it's funny because I felt like that myself. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have. You know, we're builders. We build something and we put it out there and we say, hey, we built this thing and it's awesome. And because it is awesome, then people will find it and they will love it and they will buy it. But they don't. And it happens to non-technical uh, business people out there, just as much as it happens to us, technical slash design slash domain expert folks. I mean, if we're not immune, then we certainly can't expect our clients to be. It's kind of funny how no one is spared. Oh, absolutely. There is, I think, uh, I don't know, there is like 80% of startups don't even ship, <laughs> don't even launch then another 20 launch and out of those 20 probably 80 percent never succeed and the other 20 do yikes and out of those 20 maybe other 20 do really well and that's a very small fraction of people <laughs> wow so the the 80 20 rule r- runs uh, what three layers deep ouch i imagine well that's my speculation honestly but yeah. i think that's what's happening <laughs> oh, i bet you're right i bet you're right that sounds absolutely reasonable sounds discouraging but it sounds absolutely reasonable right but but MicroConf in Vegas, it made me realize that there is a lot of people who actually can make money online with very legit, honest businesses. And that was a very inspiring example. Yeah, that's a great group of people, really. Absolutely. What's most important, whenever you go like out networking, if you go out with the purpose of networking, you're going to (laughs) fail because you must be just generally enjoying meeting new people and making new friends, not for the purpose of friends, but because you like what they do, you know, um, you're just generally interested in them, not because you have a checklist to meet 50 people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of folks, a lot of folks, uh, especially freelancers, I, I mentor some freelancers and some podcasters, and every once in a while, they'll, they'll express the idea to me that the idea of, the idea of doing cold outreach or the idea of, Maybe the way I structure my emails to foster rapport or, uh, you know, going to an event to network with people, they, they, f- they feel like it's disingenuous. They feel like they're pandering. And I can understand why that would be off-putting. Nobody wants, nobody wants to feel like they're pandering. But I think it's really just a matter of perspective. For example, I, I'm very fortunate in that uh, not 30 minutes up the road from me is Rob Walling in Fresno, Okay. I've got some friends up in the Fresno tech scene. I ended up, you know, I've, I've met Rob in person several times. Great guy, learned a lot, 
um, and 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 by extension, the the micro conference ecosystem that he's built around him is a reflection of of his values, and it's good stuff. But uh, not in a million years would I go cruising up to Fresno, like you said, with a checklist, you know, a little notebook in my hand and a list of people, and you know, I'm going to make sure I meet these people because I think it would be good for business. You know, I just meet people up there, and they're awesome. You know, they're <laughs> awesome, and I'm like, oh my god, these are my people. You know, it's as if they were my friends and I just needed to dis- – they were already my friends. I just needed to discover them. Um, it's fantastic. And and if a person can kind of maintain that, uh, it's almost a childlike view of connecting with other people and making new friends, then I think that will, that will eliminate a lot of the hurdles that somebody who maybe feels self-conscious or they feel like they're, they're engaging in coercion or manipulation somehow by, by quote-unquote networking um, – if any of you out there feel like that, please try to flip your perspective around and imagine what it was like when you were a child on the playground and you made a new friend and it was awesome because they loved climbing the monkey bars and you love climbing the monkey bars. And now you have someone to climb the monkey bars with as a pair. It's the same idea. We just scale it up. You know, we lose some of the wide eyed innocence and, and, you know, there might be some commerce involved, but it really can be that simple. And I think looking at it in those terms is, is probably a lot healthier than, you know, going down there, as you said, with a checklist and, you know, this person could be really good for my business. I have to meet this person. Especially considering the fact that all influencers who you really want to meet, there is no point walking up to them because, you know, another 500 people want to do the same. They're yeah. just simply tired. Why, you know, there is a um, there is a theory of second and third tier people. I think it was first uh, up on Fizzle show. Uh, by Chase Reeves. Um, I think he was the first who introduced it. And it really means that you shouldn't be reaching out to the first level stars, but other, but rather to the second level stars who are also, you know, old schoolers have been out here for a while, but they're not so popular. They're just having fun hanging out with each other. So right. you should be as tired three, you should be, you know, reaching out to them and having fun. Yeah. Well, you know, the takeaway is there is no tires anyway, but still. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, when I mentor freelancers who are, who are expressing frustration at not being known in, the, in their town when they're trying to get business locally, um, I preach something similar to what you're talking about. I tell them, you know, don't, you know, you're not going to run right out and your name's not going to be known by every city councilman. Your name's not going to be known by the CEO of all the largest businesses that operate in your city. All you need to do is really be a part of the ecosystem, become a known quantity. You're not going to be on a first name basis with the guy that runs the, you know, whatever the, the, the paper master international location in your town. But like you said, Jane, somebody he knows, somebody who works for him, they might've heard of you. Maybe that person's friend has hung out with you a few times. You're, you're unknown quantity. You, you, you're not just. Hey, where did this guy come from? Where, where, where did this girl show up from? Who are these people I've never heard of? It's just, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's Jane. She does design for startups. Oh, yeah, 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 that's Chris. He builds web apps. You're just you're just you're a known quantity. You're just kind of part of the scene. And then from that, you've got kind of an organic standing from which to develop relationships later on. Absolutely. So let's drill back to our topic of lessons. And I see that um, – 
one of the recurring topics here has been, you know, finding your own tribe, your own people. Yeah. Maybe uh, and topic number zero is obviously money. <laughs> it's not even to discuss. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, anything else that you see coming up in your conversations over and over again? Yeah, I do. And, and I think I may have mentioned this in a previous episode. And if so, I'm sorry. Um, my memory is not what it was when I was a, when I was a young man, but, um, I want to say, uh, Rob Walling for sure mentioned this. Justin Jackson for sure mentioned this. Amy Hoy for sure mentioned this. A couple of other people probably, but those are the three that stand out. Uh, and that is to start with something small, not even small, start with something tiny. If you must, a lot of the folks, myself included, who set out to launch a SaaS app, well, even a simple SaaS app is quite an undertaking, especially if you're a solo founder. And very often, you don't have, you have neither the network nor the audience to support such a launch anyway. That's even assuming you can get it out the door, um, which is which is something that I've I've struggled with in the past. So, a lot of folks are saying, you know. Pump the brakes, scale your ambitions down. Um, don't necessarily launch a smaller SaaS app. Just launch a completely different, tiny product that has a clear path from that product to the thing that you want to launch later. For example, um, when I took that advice, I ended up writing a podcasting book. It was small in scope. It was firmly within my domain expertise, and it was something that I could actually finish and ship and make some money with. Now, if I had to do it all over again, I would probably do a freelancing book, but that's that's a whole nother topic. Um, I accidentally went and created two sets of audiences for myself. Um, yeah, poor that's baby. important. That's important. You, you know what, though? <laughs> Hang on. I, I shouldn't complain too bad because I I know people. I, I you know I know people who are complaining that they can't build one audience, and I'm over here complaining. Oh, boohoo! Poor me, Jane. I have two audiences. Pity me. <laughs> Feel bad for me. I have two audiences. Um, <laughs> too bad, too bad uh, of a situation I know, to be in. I know, right? right? But uh, so I took that advice. I did something small. I did a small book. I got it out the door. It got me on the scoreboard. It got me making money, and it helped me to c- further cultivate an audience on top of what I already had. And that I think has been the most powerful advice that I've gotten out of any of my guests is the advice to start something small, tiny, even. Um, I, I can't even I can't even tell you how powerful that's been. I, I was completely, completely stuck with my own SaaS app. And I know some of you out there listening right now, I know you're probably sitting there, you're listening to us, and you're thinking, wow, I'm I'm stuck too. And uh, I'm here to tell you it's okay. It happens to a lot of us. And in my case, what I needed to do is give myself permission Able. to take a break from the SaaS app, step away, do something different. A lot of folks – get started with a little tiny WP plugin. Some folks do a course. Um, some folks do a little book like I did. But at a certain point, if what you're doing is not moving forward, if you're not able to maintain momentum, give yourself permission to reevaluate and maybe do something different, something smaller in scope that you can actually ship. So when all else fails and you find yourself getting stuck, give yourself permission to just press the pause button on whatever it is you're stuck with, step away, and maybe either scale that down until it's of a scope that you can handle, or maybe do something else that has a very small scope that you can actually ship. Absolutely. There is a similar kind of advice, but it's a little bit different angle. For example, when I teach consultants do, you know, be successful in business, I always tell them start with products. 
you know, I'm teaching them to do the same thing just even before they realize they need to do products. Like in your technique, it's like slowing down and this is like starting earlier than you think it's necessary so that you can practice everything in your own sandbox, the whole business cycle. And this is vital for anyone who is eager to start with products or who just wants to acquire business knowledge. This is extremely important to practice something small. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about scope. You've only got so many levers to pull on, right? When we're small like this, uh, we don't have huge budgets. We have a lot of time, maybe, and we have some expertise. But very often that leads people to think, oh, well, you know, there's no real cost to this. Why not build that extra feature? Why not code that extra page? Um, but that's how we get ourselves in trouble. So anytime anybody's in that kind of a spot, I, I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I tell them, grab on that grab onto that scope lever and just pull back on it until it's small enough to get it out the door. Absolutely. There is a approach. I mean, the approach is definitely not new, but Rob Walling called it staircase approach to right. startup success or something like that. He told about that many times at his talks. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the stair-stepping approach, uh, Amy Hoy refers to it as stacking the bricks. Uh, Brennan Dunn calls it, I think the product ladder. A um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. lot of different names, a lot of different names, a lot of different people have figured this out. And uh, it's it's real, though. They've figured this out because it actually works. But it's tough to see sometimes. And, and let's be honest. Nobody wants to take the baby steps. We all want to go straight to having the big, splashy SaaS application that's being written about on TechCrunch. Um, but there are a lot of things that happened before that. And none of them are fun, really, um, unless you're one of those odd people who likes, you know, the the nitty gritty of of you know marketing and struggling to add people to your list and all that. I am not one of them. I I, I hate every minute of that stuff, but I do it. Why? <laughs> because I recognize the importance of it. Because I've been taught the importance of it by all these fantastic guests of mine. Absolutely. One more thing I'd like to mention, and you mentioned that already too. If you can make a decision what your audience is going to be, do that. Because it's going to help you build a focused, um, you know, tribe-focused list of people. Though I'm quite sure that everyone is going to make a mistake with their first product and target their audience. Because it's just such an easy mistake to do. I did that. You did that. And I'm sure (laughs) a ton of other people did that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I mentioned before, I, I know a SQL developer who came up with this product for real estate agents. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even begin. I can't, and I had, I was very gentle with him, but I can't even begin to imagine, you know, he has no connections to the real estate industry whatsoever. Um, you know, he's got a real uphill battle. Whereas he's coded his own kind of little helper utilities for being a SQL DBA, I have no idea why he's not selling those. I suggested that he sells those, but who knows? So I, I, I'm right there with you. It's it's so easy. It's so easy because we're so deep into our own domain expertise. It almost seems like a given to us, and we sometimes fail to see the value that our own our own domain expertise may have for other people who don't have it. But we just don't see it. It's it's the old forest in the trees problem. Absolutely, and uh, I have a small story. Even before I started marketing, my first very startup dream was developing a SaaS product for museums. 
Can you just imagine such a nightmare of an audience as museums? <laughs> Especially considering the fact that I had no clue about the audience whatsoever. Oh But I did goodness. that. <laughs> And you, I was not a baby it? like when I did that. <laughs> did you actually build it? No, no. But me and my friend who I invited as a co-founder, we did quite a lot of research. And I'm glad we didn't start. But we had a very fancy domain and it was called Museums Digital <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Ooh la la. Right, but I ditched that already. <laughs> so well, now I'm dying to know, was it uh, was it like an inventory and curation type SaaS app? Uh, it was supposed to be a framework f so that museums can develop their own iPhone apps. So there ah. was uh, like like a CMS and a simplified uh, theme, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it was supposed to be a very complex one too. Right. See, so many mistakes at once. I'm so glad we never shipped it. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, I can't, you know, I can't talk. I built a, I built a site builder for karate schools. So <laughs> yikes. Right. And someone, someone out there, someone out there is making money from something like salon software. And all that's doing is encouraging a hundred other people to think they can do it too, when they probably can't because that's a terrible market. <laughs> yes. We've heard that lesson many times, you know, salons oh, yeah. and uh, lawyers, dentists, <laughs> uh, hospitality industry likes to use pen and paper most right. and you're going to be fighting with those tools and that's a, you know it's a no win-win <laughs> oh sure sure justin jackson had a great story about trying to sell his barber on the idea of using scheduling software and it, it would just get in his way it, it would it would just interrupt his workflow there was no no value add there great story right my salon also uses a simple notebook to schedule visits Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? My, uh, my own stylist, uh, she just uses the calendar in her phone. That's it. That's as fancy as it gets. Do you want to come oh. in Thursday? Sure. I'll come in Thursday. Great. And she just <laughs> taps into her phone right there. Nobody's going to sell her anything for that ever. Right. And um, you know, she's very advanced or him. <laughs> yeah. She, she. All right. Yeah. So I guess a big takeaway here is try and define the audience that you love. As Amy Hoy said, if you don't like drunk Irish boys, don't open an Irish pub. There you go. And <laughs> that was a very old talk of hers, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. She's she's really she's really got it figured out on that front. Um, and, and you know, honestly, I, I think when I when I first talked to her, I had to confess it to a couple of stupid things that uh, that I had done, and. Uh, You know, she she knew just what to say. She's got that figured out. And, and yeah, I, I really admire the way she's got that particular area uh, just nailed down. Yeah, these things, they just seem obvious from a certain standpoint. But when they're just starting out, you're kind of semi-blind about it. Yeah. I don't know what kind of fatigue that is. Is that, you know, a charm of the product world or some other reason? But there is numerous books out there. And still, people are, keep, keep making the same mistakes. And yeah, us you know, and everybody. <laughs> I have a theory. I have a theory if I can squeeze it in. I, I know we're at sure. about 27. Uh, I think that that kind of blindness is highly, highly, highly overlapped with this, the reason why a lot of, say, freelancers and consultants have anxiety about charging a decent rate for their work. It, it's that force for the trees problem that I mentioned earlier. We're so accustomed to knowing what we know that we lose sight of how valuable it can be to people who don't know it. And when picking a, uh, when picking a market for a product, 
it's the same thing. Just as a beginning freelancer might think, well, gosh, you know, making WP themes is, it's so easy. I, you know, I, I can't really charge more than, you know, a couple bucks for it. It's the same idea. They may not think, uh, oh, what if I teach other WP themers how to build themes? That has value. No, because it's a given to them. It's just something they know and it seems very simple and, you know, there, there couldn't be much value in that. But hey, I know those real estate guys seem to make a lot of money. I'll make a product for them. And, you know, then it all ends in tears. Right. Of course, you know, the audience needs to be able to pay you like the audience of school teachers is obviously not the best one. Uh, right. Listen to Patrick McKenzie. <laughs> but <laughs> it shouldn't be the deciding factor. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. I think this was super interesting episode, really packed with the most popular startup advice you can get. And let me sum it up, sum it up. And number number zero is, you know, money is important. Number one, build your tribe. Number two, start with something small and uh, take the stair step approach. And I think the last one is define your audience, make sure you love them and they can pay you. Yep. Right. All right. Thank you for joining us today, Chris, and see you in the next episode. All right, Jane. Thanks again.